Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, Hamilton and the country still trying to cope with the death of 14-year-old Devin Selvey, the Sir Winston Churchill student who was bullied to death. We talk to board officials. We talk to students who've been bullied. And the final French debate has been held heading into the next federal election. Did you learn anything? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. The call to end bullying uh, stemming, of course, from the murder of, this, uh, of a Sir Winston Churchill student, Adel- uh, Devin Selvey, has resulted in experts calling out the zero tolerance policy. What does it mean? How does it work? Let's talk, uh, let's talk with Sharon Stefa- uh, Stefanian. She is the superintendent of equity and well-being Hamilton Wentworth District School Board and is on the line with us now. Sharon, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, hi, Scott. Not a problem at all. Uh, I'm, you know, obviously lots are questioning, and we're getting lots of email here, too, about, man, this happens, and everyone's got a story to tell us, it appears. Um, I, I don't want to pile on the school system here, because I don't think that's going to solve anything. Uh, I think everybody has to realize here that the school is just part of a greater societal problem. That being said, we do need some clarification here. What is it with the zero tolerance policy? How does it work? Uh, how do we start this conversation? <laughs> Sure. Thank you, Scott. And I'd like to begin just by saying, I mean, as you mentioned at the outset, um, our Sir Winston Churchill community, our broader Hamilton-Wentworth community, we're all still shaken by the horrible, horrible act of violence that resulted in Devon's death earlier this week. And our our thoughts and our prayers and our sympathies certainly go out to Devon's family and his friends and his loved ones, um, as well as, as the broader Churchill community and the Hamilton community, because as you mentioned, the, the show of support and love for the family at the vigil and the game last night, uh, so, so powerful. Um, but we do need to look at uh, and understand exactly uh, what happened and, and what ultimately led to Devin's death. So, oh, sorry, go ahead, Scott. So, um, you know, we hear zero tolerance. Me, you know, it doesn't happen. There's zero, zero tolerance. I mean, it just means it doesn't happen here. Uh, you know, bullying with a big X through it. So what does that mean? What is the protocol here? Yeah, I appreciate the question. So um, I'd love to be able to say that bullying doesn't happen. And we know, unfortunately, bullying happens in schools, it happens in workplaces, it happens within the broader community. Uh, A big part of our work is being sure that we can identify bullying, uh, label it as bullying, And we have procedures in place and policies in place in terms of how our administrators respond to bullying. And so we do have an expectation, and our staff and schools are trained annually on understanding types of bullying. Connected to that, if they see bullying happening, what is the procedure for them to report it, uh, both verbally as well as in writing? Um, And that's work that we do every September with our staff. So our staff get an annual refresher on what to watch for and how to intervene and how to support children in understanding what bullying is in shifting behavior. When bullying lands in a place where we're in the, the administrator's office, whether it's reported by students or it is reported by families, we do have a very specific procedure that we expect our administrators to follow. So that includes taking down a detailed statement of the account from those who are reporting the bullying, who is doing the bullying, what is the nature of the bullying, um, bullying happening uh, during the school day, if it, where is it happening, is it happening outside of the school day, is it face-to-face, is it cyberbullying, etc. And then our expectation is that there is um, an investigation that takes place, that the families are involved in that process, both the families of the victim as well as the bully. And then there are a range of outcomes that can come from that, Scott. So the outcomes can be anything from restorative processes uh, to uh, potential suspensions and expulsions. Um, So, uh, again, my question was going to be, uh, I was going to give you a scenario. My kid's had his bike stolen and he's being bullied by these groups. You've, or by a group, you've decided, you basically walked through the process there uh, to, to say what would happen if I came to the school with that sort of complaint. But what happens after that? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously, we have to assume 
and, and we don't know. We have to assume that that, and we, we can't talk too much about this case because obviously it's still mm-hmm. under investigation. Right. But we assume that something like that would have happened here. Um, yet what I'm getting from parents is, you know, the, 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 the process and everything appears to make it look like something's being done, but nothing's really being done. I guess that's the best way to describe it. Now, so again, um, appreciate the question. And in the scenario that you described, I think it's important for families to know that we do take bullying very seriously. And even though there may be incidents that happen outside of school hours or they happen on a weekend or they happen um, on, on a March break, um, the school system, the schools will still respond. And so if, in fact, what has happened in the community is having an impact on what's happening in the school, um, then from a legislative perspective, schools are in a position where they are able to investigate and they are able to uh, to consequence for whatever that action has been. And, and what I would say is that sometimes um, perhaps we're not as clear in our communication with families around what the outcome of an investigation has been. Um, certainly, if we're investigating um, a situation, we have to maintain confidentiality, but we should be reporting back to parents to say that we have investigated and what the outcomes of that investigation has been and we should be having conversations with families as well as what what measures we need to put in place for their child to feel safe when they are back in school. And so um, again, if a family feels that for some reason a situation hasn't been properly investigated, then they certainly are in a position where they can reach back out to the school um, and and ultimately, um, they can certainly reach out to the superintendent of the school as well. Um, we certainly see working with parents in this in this situation as in, in all situations as partners, and so that ongoing dialogue is extremely important. And so, if a school has addressed a reported incident of bullying or believes they've addressed it, um, but the bullying continues, that's important information also for schools to have. Uh, there was information, and again, there's only so much I know we can say about this this uh, this case that's that's going on with Sir Winston and uh, Sir Winston Churchill, and of course Devin Selby. But um, there was a report almost the day after, within 24 hours, from another kid that said, and again, these are all allegations at this point, that he was bullied by the same kid. So, what are we doing afterwards to make sure the behavior? Um, not so much even with the victim, but the perpetrator is not continuing the behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so we absolutely, if, if we've had an interaction with the family about bullying, again, we will check in with the family to see that the, um, you know, what has been the outcome, if we're not, if we've heard back from the family, or have there been further incidences of bullying that have happened? Um, but again, it depends upon each situation. So in some yeah. cases, it may be working with community partners around support for the young person um, who has been doing the bullying. It is it is working with the family around what can we do to support that young person in changing their behavior. Uh, why are they bullying, and what does helping them change that behavior look like is a critical piece. Uh, I mentioned this the other day, and and a lot of people are using the the, the phrase "kids killing kids." Um, again, this is a broader societal issue. It's just school is another one of the vehicles, another one of the the locations where this stuff can play out. Um, what about the broader discussion of kids taking the lives of other kids and just don't seem to have any a- any respect for, for human life or the consequences? I mean, not only for the victim, but the, the multiple families that are involved here. Yeah, it's a, it's again, it's a, it's a great question. And you had highlighted, Scott, that, um, you know, the, the community conversation is an extremely important one. And we in Hamilton are very lucky because we have amazing partner organizations. Um, I think about the wonderful work that um, our police department does and the rapid response unit if we're concerned about, you know, the well-being or the behavior of, uh, of a potential uh, student. I think 
about the work that happens with the John Howard Society. And so um, it is working together as a community around how do we create those conditions where students are feeling that they're safe and they are supported and they're accepted and that there are people, caring adults in their lives, not only in schools, but also in the broader community who they can reach out to if they're feeling unsafe. Um, the the horrible situation at uh, Sir Winston Churchill with Devon is um, is something that is is certainly rare in our community, but nonetheless, it's something that collectively we need to come together around. Um, certainly for us as a school board, in terms of um, not only investigating what happened and what will be consequences um, for any individuals who were involved in what happened, um, but also um, as a broader system in terms of our policies and our procedures and and our communication, um, but then also working with our community partners to say how can we collectively work together, wrap our arms around the youth in this community so we don't see something like it this. It just seems, Sharon, that, you know, it's the same thing with mental illness, Ill- illness when we have the day where we all talk about it. It's nice to talk about it. It makes everybody feel good, but is anything really changing as a result of this? And I mean, you know, it's great to hear after the fact that the boards have all this help coming into the students and counselors and such to talk about it. But are these discussions that should be had before something like this happens? We talk all the time about calling out bullies. And yet, you know, it's it's great to see all these kids and, and God bless them for, for, for supporting Devin now. But where was where was the help when Devin needed it most? Yeah, it's it's important that the conversations just don't happen once a, once a year. They don't happen yeah, during yeah. Awareness Week. They knew they do need to be part of the conversations we have every day. We do need to ensure that when we see that type of bull, type of behavior, it's accountability. Or any other type, it is. We need to identify it. We need to name it, and then we need to respond to it. Um, we, as um, I, I'm not sure if you've seen a recent statement from our chair of the board and our director, but uh, we're looking at a formal review of our board safe school practices once both the police and the school investigations uh, around um, Devon's death are complete. And um, we're going to be looking at uh, any recommendations or changes that we need to be making. Um, but certainly you, you're completely you know, right on when you made the comment to say um, this can't be a conversation we have one week a year or it needs to be part of the, uh, the culture uh, of a school school and and of a system and and certainly of the community. We always need to look at ways to improve. And I mean, you know, there's usually lots of video of these situations, so it's not as if they're not there. But, uh, you know, at what time do we put down the phone and, and, and act? And I'm not telling you to, you know, kids to put their lives on the lines to save other kids in a knife fight, but my goodness, it, it just seems there could be better use of time if we if we stopped, if we if we tried to prevent this rather than counseling afterwards, mm-hmm. it's um, it absolutely is that element of creating that community of caring, where everyone takes responsibility for each other, um, and as you say, thinks of, think about um, if something is happening. What exactly is my role in this, um, and and how how might I be able to be of help? Uh, certainly, an in- incredibly incredibly important piece. Um, I know that, you know, we've been doing some work around um, our HWDSB helps approach, which is really about what you've described, getting help from adults, but also um, helping and supporting each other. Um, but again, we, we know that there is, is always more to do. And unfortunately, uh, what happened on Monday is, is one of those moments where, you know, together as a, as a school and as a board and as a broader community, um, we need to reflect and say, um, what do we learn and what's next? All right. uh, Joining us has been Sharon Stefanian, Superintendent of Equality and Wellbeing, Hamilton Wentworth District School Board. Sharon, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Good luck with this moving forward. Thanks, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, We've had a few people that have sent us notes, uh, email over the last couple of days since the, uh, you know, the terrible loss of uh, Devin Selvey and, 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 and the story surrounding it and such. And so we started uh, to follow up a few of these, and we're going to get these people to tell their stories. But if you want to uh, share yours, you're more than welcome. 905-645-3221, star uh, 9900 on your cell. Uh, going to one story in just a second.
Chuck, I want to, uh, the lines have, full, uh, have filled up here, so I want to get to them pretty quick, and then we'll get to our guests. Brian, what are your thoughts on all of this? Hi, Scott. Thanks for taking my call. I've, just, I've been listening all week, and it, it, it just seems to me, you know, hey, I'm an older guy as well, but bullying in school, when I went to school, is not what is going on now. This is more like personal terrorism. Yeah. And it's it just seems that you know they have meetings and 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 things set up for people to discuss what they're going to do. It's just like nothing's happening beyond that. There's all kinds of programs that are set up. It's just like the programs aren't being enacted. Yeah, yeah. and it takes a tragedy like this before something really gets going. I mean, I I just think of bullying that took place when I went to school. It was handled like right then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no ifs ands or buts. And it's like they, you know, they've taken it out of the hands of the out of the the teachers that deal with these kids on a day to day basis, and it's it's not being handled. And you know, when you start talking about restorative, you know, approaches and that kind of yeah. stuff, it's it's way beyond that. Brian, thanks for the call. Much appreciated. Uh, we're going to get to Dave here before we get to our guest. Dave, what are your thoughts on all of this? Uh, you know, obviously it's heartbreaking. Uh, I can relate one one uh, quick story that I experienced. Uh, in the 90s, I was going out with a girl uh, whose son was being bullied at a school. And so she went to see the principal about it. And, of course, I, I went along to be supportive. And the uh, principal just offered counseling for the kid to deal with the bullying, which I I felt like saying, well, what about the bullier, you know? But uh, just another point about this, this Young Offenders Act, I think it needs to be changed between the soft crimes and the hard crimes. Um, you know, it's, I think it's just, you know, for these crimes such as this, um, the penalties just aren't strong enough for the deterrence or this kind of uh, violent violence, uh, I think, needs to be dealt with in a more serious matter by the authorities. Well, the kids know they can get away with it. That's part of the problem. That was my next point to you. Do you think kids can think they can get away with this stuff? But, I you know, know, even I so, I mean, you know, and, and, and you know, we're dealing with, with undeveloped brains here when we're talking 14-year-olds and such. But, you know, uh, obviously there's tragedy, great tragedy to the family and the, and the victims and everybody who's involved in, in that sort of thing. But, you know, there, there's probably about a half a dozen families that are ruined here. Um, and, and that doesn't do anybody any good. So, you know, you know, I've heard people say, well, they know they can go to jail. They're out in a couple of years. It's like, well, you know, jail is for a kid, even for five or 10 years, you know, that, that, that's quite a, you know, that, that should be quite a learning experience. That's no walk in the park. That's no trip to Disneyland. That's still 10 years of somebody's life. Uh, I don't know what the answers are here, uh, Dave, but it, it just seems, um, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I'll give the I last word find, to you. I hope we find an answer. I hope we find an answer. Thanks for the call, Dave. Much appreciated. Uh, let's bring in Anna. I'm just going to use her first name because um, I, I see no other reason to. Uh, and, and she has sent me a note, and she is on the line now. And if you want to weigh in on all of this, feel free to call 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Anna, uh, tell us your story. Uh, tell us about the note you sent to us. Hi. Um Okay, long story short, uh, just a few blocks away from that horrific tragedy that happened on Monday, uh, my nephew, uh, 11 years old, he faced uh, bullying by an educator. Uh, so they were out for recess. By a teacher, uh, an educator? An educator. How, yes. What happened? Uh, they were out for recess. It was a bit of a warmer day. Uh, they're lining up to go inside, and uh, he's autistic. He has a bit of a, uh, a harsher tone to his voice when he speaks but definitely a sense of humor. And he says, you know, come on, please let me in already or let us in. We're melting in our shoes. And at the end of the day, the teacher, you know, uh, came back at him with uh, uh, hostility and then rallied the students to turn their back on him and start chanting, uh, knock it off, kept chanting. This is an educator that organized this. So where, where did this happen? Like, I, I don't know at school, but what, where, uh, like outside? Outside, yeah. Okay, so it did continue in the schoolyard. In the schoolyard, yeah. So it did c- continue back in the classroom, right? So eventually, obviously, any anybody would have a reaction to that, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it gets to us, right? And so he basically just correct me here if I'm wrong. The, the teacher, mm-hmm. and I don't want to say whether it's male or female; it's irrelevant. Um, the teacher, um, when this uh, autistic child would act up got the rest of the students to turn their backs to him and just yell, knock it off, repeatedly. This is, this is just this moment. Right. In that moment. Right. Okay. Um, this is the first that I've heard of this educator 
doing anything of the sort. Was this recent? Uh, was this or many years this ago? This was on Tuesday. This oh, is man. last. This is the day following the day that ca- that student died. Oh man! Yeah. So at the end of the day, um, at the top of the hour, you had mentioned, you know, it's not just the school system, right? Yeah. But the whole thing is, is at the end of the day. Our, our, our children are there yeah. five days a week while we're at work, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, uh, uh, in my instance, my daughter, she goes to before care, mm-hmm. okay? So she's there from 7 o'clock, 7.30 in the morning, depends w- what time I'm starting at. And I don't get to see her till sometimes 5, 6 o'clock at night, okay? So at the end of the day, she there are so many hands involved in raising her. Mm-hmm. So it stems from the education system. Yeah. And I think what needs to happen is there needs to be a program put in place in our schools taught as a part of the curriculum, okay? And it has to be a, a, a has to be both the teachers and the students a collaborative effort. Even the parents, everybody needs to be involved in this, right? Mm-hmm. Like I heard a I heard an absolutely ridiculous story last year where a little boy, um, a, a coach ended up saying absolutely obscene obscenities to this child. The child was a magnificent football player, okay, really going far, and he didn't want to pursue, he didn't want to go back to football. Hmm. And nothing was done. The conversation happened, okay, people, oh, I'm outraged, I can't believe this happened. But nothing was done. There was no consequences for that adult. Okay, mm-hmm. and we have to lead by example. We have to teach by example. So you think right? the te- you think where there's bad apples are being protected? Absolutely, hundred yeah. percent from adults. Not <laughs> not only the student, but the teacher too. The teacher, guess, but it yeah. follows. You know what? There's toxic workplaces. There's toxic uh, relationships, right? Yeah. So essentially, what we're teaching teaching these uh, young children is you have to deal with it. You have to put up with it. Just essentially, you know, close your mouth and move on, or you deserve it. Nobody deserves it. What, um, what, this was your nephew. What did the mother say about all of this? Well, both of his parents, they kept him home from school the next day, okay? And they've been in contact with the school. Uh, long and the short of it, the school is taking steps to rectify the situation. But they had a meeting with the principal again this morning, and they're left with this uncertainty uh, that was expressed by the principal, even uh, well, this principal said she's not sure that, or sorry, they're not sure that they'll be able to raise the support or have the support uh, for the programs that need to be put in place in schools. Mm-hmm. Most schools, at the end of the day, they have that zero tolerance uh, for bullying, right? Yeah. But it has to go both ways. It has to be the educators. It has to be the teachers, uh, or sorry, the students. Uh, like it has to go both ways. Right, uh, mm-hmm. coaches, uh, uh, anybody that's molding our children. Um, wh- wh- what do you say when we he- we just hear these more stories of kids harming kids, kids hurting kids? I mean, this goes beyond the school system, doesn't it? It does go beyond the school system, but as I said before, and again, I, I you know, I'm not I'm not here to defend the school system by any means. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Absolutely, no, but like I said. It's a, they're driving force in our children's lives. But you know what's going to happen when you talk to administrators? They'll all say, well, you know, we don't have the money, we don't have the time, we, you know, cutbacks. Doug Ford's cutting everything back as if this has all just happened in the last, you know, few months. Yes, somehow they're managing to find money for other things. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I hear your point. Like, this is a big one. Yeah. You know, like, how many times have we said, if I only knew then what I know now? What uh, what do you? I'm going to let you go here, Anna, and move on to another guest. But what uh, what do you think we're going to take from the death of Devin? The death of Devin, my condolences to his family. That's absolutely horrific. Um, I think that this has to this this conversation cannot stop. Okay, this issue cannot die. This has to be followed up on. Uh, there has to be pressure put on our school systems both the Catholic and the public school systems uh, nationwide, that, that this there has to be something implemented. And, um, yeah, we can't stop. As, a, as, as parents, as guardians, we have to start pushing this agenda. Anna, thanks for sharing the story. Much appreciated.
Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Uh, we're going to get one of those, uh, another Paranon uh, note similar to we had like Anna's. Uh, the phone lines are open, 905-645-3221, start 9900 on your cell. David's on the line. David, your thoughts? Uh, sorry? Are you there, David? Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a little nervous. No, take your time. Yeah. So, um... What I, what I'm, sorry, I'm a, I'm a bit lost right now. Sorry. That's okay. It's okay. Yeah. You're just talking on the phone to me. Okay. Oh, okay. So I'm basically telling you um, what I'm going to talk about? No, um, no, you're on the air with us. It's just like talking to me on the phone. That's all. It's just okay. there's a whole pile of people listening. Just forget about them. <laughs> all right. So I don't know really where, where to start, to be honest. Are you, are you a victim? Yes. What's happened to you? Um, recently at my school, um, a student who I've known for two years was a close friend of mine. One day just kind of changed all the time, started being rude, insulting me, and I started to avoid them and stuff. Mm-hmm. And eventually all of a sudden they started following me and were making threats to me and stuff. Mm. Yeah. What did you uh, do? Sorry? What can you do? What did you do? Uh, I went to my school about this. What did they say? Um, they said they take care of it, and they didn't really get taken care of. What ended up happening? Uh, the the student in question has been making death threats and stuff. They brought a knife to school, too, actually. Hmm. And all they did was suspend them for a week and then let them come back. And as you can imagine, that just does not make me feel safe knowing that a person, like, brought a knife to school, had intentions to harm me and stuff. And all that got happened was, oh, they're gone for a week. All right, now they're back. We hear so much about restorative justice, meeting with the bully, meeting with the parents. Any of that stuff happen? Uh, nope. I have I haven't seen her mother anything like that. Nope. Uh, Jemaine, how old are you? Sixteen. 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 Yeah. Uh, what's your next step? This is still going on. Yep. Um, nothing's been resolved, and I just just nothing's been resolved really. And I. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want to happen here, David? Um, I'm protection. I, I want to feel safe to go to my school to finish my education. Mm-hmm. What's your next step? What, what uh, do you, do you have options at this point? What if you yeah, go back I, to the school? What if you go back to the school now and say, I don't want to be like this guy. Um, I don't want to be like Devin. Sorry. I don't want to be like Devin. What do you think they'll say? I'm trying to give you some advice here. I just feel so helpless. Uh, don't worry. So about gonna, it. No, don't, no, I, don't I, I say mean, that because like, we're I caring mean, about like, you I mean, and, like, and we, like, and we want to help you. So yeah. please yeah. go back out and try to tell that story to those people again and mm-hmm. use poor Devin Selvey as an example and bring the police in on this. Uh, I, the police I've already brought in, of course. So... How, how do you hope to resolve this? What do you hope to do? Uh, do what do I, they tell you about the next stages? Anything? They they just said like they just really said like uh, I just remember clear as day as I was at school like halfway for the day and they called me down to the office and just told me that she was back and stuff and I'm like what like just so did they no say he w- did they say he was back but you know this has all been worked out he's proud da, da, da. so d- has he has he has he uh, um, confronted you again since he's come back uh, no I have not seen her you've not seen him but you're still fearful yeah for when you do see him yeah is it just a coincidence you haven't seen him yet uh, or maybe no, he I'm... is maybe he's really seriously got the message David do you think that's maybe the case? I'm not too sure. But you're still frightened in either way. You, you, yeah, you're not resolved I, 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 for this. I had a, like, I had a knife, like, like uh, to give you a clear example. Like, Go ahead. What, like, made this, like, the turning point was I was having my lunch in a classroom. 
and I looked out the doorway and saw her standing there holding a knife, pointing at me, then doing like the, the classic like, yeah. uh, they held the knife into the classic like across the throat. Yeah. Like, you know, basically, I'm going to kill you. And what did, and, and, and you, you told this to administrators, and for this, he was suspended a week. Yeah, she was only suspended for just a week. And fun fact, actually, and sorry, is, school, this, is this male or female? Female. This was a female, right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, what, what What's your next step? Not but again, you must feel good that you haven't seen this person and that it appears, it, 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 has it stopped at this point? And I'm not trying to make it seem better than it is, by all means. I'm just, I'm just playing the devil's advocate here. Mm. Does it appear that it is, that, that it's different now, even though this person's back? Uh, honestly, I just haven't been going to school, to be honest, because I just yeah, don't feel yeah, safe. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I think what reinstates my fear is I'm constantly having nightmares about said event, like where the event turns up differently and I end up being stabbed instead of just threatened, you know? Yeah. Have, yeah. Are, you, are you getting any sort of counseling on this? Uh, I've been talking to like friends and family about this. Let me tell you something. Uh, I'm a man that's 57 years old. I've been in counseling off and on for 20 years. It is the best thing you can ever get. It is the best. It's best because it doesn't, it doesn't fix other people, but it helps you understand that it's not you. That it's not you. That it's an issue that someone else needs to deal with. So if I can give you any recommendation as a father, because I have two kids, would be to get counseling to help yourself through this uh obviously the person who is victimizing you it's obvious they need help that's obvious but that's not your responsibility your responsibility is to keep yourself whole and what i would recommend to you uh since i feel helpless doing anything else is to and hold your head high about this because there's nothing wrong with it. It is great. If you know people who exercise and like working out and, 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 and running, this is the same thing. It's just for the mind. And it puts you so in touch with who you are and what you stand for in life. And from what I'm hearing from you, David, you are a bright kid. So yeah. you're, you're bigger than this. You're beyond this. So I would recommend to you, do whatever you can from the police and the administration and whatever standpoint that you possibly can. But for yourself, I would look after, I would look after yourself first and make sure that you get the counseling and what you need to know and, what, and the tools that you need in order to get through this. You can't control what they're going to do, but you can control what you do. And I would, I would seriously, honestly, and anybody who's, who's dealing with something very similar to what David is dealing with, um, look after yourself and get the counseling you need to get through this. That's, that's about the best I can, I can offer to you. Um, but I thank you so much, David, for sharing the story. Of course. Good luck to you and, and do that. Help thank yourself. You. Help yourself. Because the counselor will give you ways to get through this. Mm-hmm. And, and move on, and the other crap you can't control. Thanks, David. Good luck to you. All right. All right. All right um, thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Show of hands here. How many people uh, watched the French language debate last night? How come I'm the only one holding my hand up in this place? Come on. You know, I think that says something. When you, I, I was even willing to watch subtitles. So I, I thought it was fascinating um, uh, watching the debate because they had just enough of the uh, people that were uh, debating. They had just the volume level of their, uh, of their voice up just loud enough so you could hear the emotion 
Um, and then the translator, just loud enough above that so you could actually hear what they were saying. When you're a guy like me who's got hard of hearing, I mean, that's even worse because it's more than one person talking at once. Uh, but it's the translator and then the person that they're obviously translating. Uh, that being said, the last uh, official debate happened last night. Uh, obviously, with the consortium, there's one official English debate. There's one official uh, French debate. And the uh, the second, uh, the official pr- uh, French debate was last night. To talk more about all of this, Christopher Waddell is with us, Ph.D. professor and program director, Bachelor of Media Production and Design, School of Journalism and Communication, Carleton University, and is with us now. Thanks for the time, Christopher. Much appreciated. Hi, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, and you? Good. I'm actually in London, Ontario today, and I'm sitting outside where it's a beautiful day. Isn't it a great day? It is a great, beautiful fall day today. Let's keep our fingers crossed and hope it lasts for the weekend. All no right, kidding. your your thoughts on uh, the debate last night? It you know uh, did, did many people? I'm, I'm not sure how many people watch debates. A uh, period, but did many people watch a uh, French debate that's being translated into English? Hard to know. I know that about um, the per minute audi- the per minute audience for the English language debate on Monday was about three million. And uh, this is according to the ratings that the television networks get. And, uh, and about 9 million people tuned in at some point during the, that debate as well. Mm-hmm. I suspect the French one would probably be not quite as high. Watching it in, watching it in, uh, in uh, translation for English speakers is not as good as actually watching it in real life. Although listening to Mr. Bernier with an Australian accent was kind of interesting. <laughs> it was funny. I was watching I was watching Thomas Mulcair, who was doing some, the former NDP right. leader, who was doing some commentation on it. And he said, you know, all you folks thought it was really dull because you were watching the translation version. He goes, believe me, to listen to it in French, it was just the same. Uh, that being said, it w- did, what did we miss by not seeing it in, in the official language? Um, I think you, you missed some of the... Um, uh, some of the comments back and forth, and you miss it. If someone makes a quick response, you may not get it because by the time the translator gets to it, he or she yeah. moved on, and you miss some of the vernacular and some of the some of the. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily slang, but the way the way people say stuff in sure. your normal conversation and. So you miss a little bit of that. Many, uh, especially in the old days, would say that what leaders would say in a French debate would be completely different than what they would say in an English debate. Much of that here, or is that old school now? I think that's kind of old school now. I mean, um, it, it helps as well that five of the six were good are, are good in French. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ms. May is, is not quite as good. And, and what was an interesting innovation of this debate is every once in a while they showed you what looked kind of like a baseball cards, which showed how long each speaker, each, each of the leaders had been speaking. I thought, and, you know what? It took me a while to figure that out, but then I realized yeah. that's what it was, which was yeah. a great idea. It was a great idea, and Ms. May, in fact, was uh, was spoke less than yeah. than, than the others. Uh, Mr. Trudeau, I think, spoke the most, um, which isn't a surprise because uh, um, when you're the government, you've got five people all of whom want your sure. job, so they're all going to want to go after you one way or another. But the, I also thought the thing they did on Thursday that they didn't do on Monday, which worked quite effectively was mini debates where they'd pick three people. Yeah. And and I don't know if you saw I mean if, what was really interesting is is they had spotlights on each of the six people and yes. the three that were were talking yeah. the spotlight and the other three were kind of in the They dim the light, yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> was interesting. interesting too. So so there there were some different touches and I thought it was uh, I thought it worked out generally um quite well, although I'm not sure we heard anybody say things we haven't heard them say before. Uh, since we we brought it up, let's talk about comparison to the debates, because there was a lot of complaints after the first English-speaking right. debate that it was just uh, you know a hodgepodge of everything. Uh, the purpose of having those timed things that you talked about up above everyone's head, I'm not sure who could see those, whether it was just the, the moderator that could see those or whether the actual uh, candidates could see those, but w- how did that influence who the commentator went to? Would the commentator notice that, uh, the moderator notice that someone, uh, you know, perhaps hadn't had equal time, so then they would go think, to them? They would give them the I think the a little bit, a little bit, but I think just generally, uh, um, the way, when you've got six people on the stage, you have to have some sort of structure. Otherwise, yeah. it's just total chaos. And, and the, they had tried one structure on Monday night, and it worked in some cases. It didn't work in others. On Monday night, I, I would argue that most of the other leaders generally didn't talk when another leader was talking, but Mr. Shear and Mr. Trudeau talked almost incessantly yeah. each while the other was talking. But, of course, they're the two people people want to hear in some right. cases. So, um, so I think it, it, it sort of also, um, it's also another way of, of dealing with the, um, a leader who says, I'm not getting my fair share of time. Right, yep. And yep. so, okay, there's the numbers. And, yeah. and within a minute or two, you, that's, some of that is how much you want to talk. 
but some of it is also how much you want to talk about the clock. Yeah, I thought the debate portions in the second were much better than the first, uh, simply yeah. because everybody, you know, they'd say, well, you got a minute to debate this, so whoever started first would take up 55 seconds of that and leave the other person. They yeah. just keep talking to run the time out, which was so obvious. One of, the, one of the problems with the one on Monday is, is I think it, the one on Monday would have been more effective had the um, moderators had a little more room to say, um, you know, for this section, this has been interesting so far, so we're going to do another two minutes right? or something like that. But now the challenge on that is from a program producer point of view, you then have got to recalculate what you're doing for the whole rest of the show. Yeah. And you need somebody who's incredibly fair that can, that can be yeah. completely neutral. Yeah. That's right. So it's, so there's challenges, but, but I think, you know, I, I would argue that we would be much better off with even more debates than just two. I yeah. mean, I think we should have one every week and, and um, I don't really think we need to have leaders flying around the country anymore. But it used to be when leaders toured around the country, they actually spoke to the general public and yeah. there'd be big meetings. Uh, in, uh, I remember Pierre Trudeau in 1972 speaking at Maple Leaf Gardens. Well, nobody does anything like that anymore. They speak only to partisan supporters and in small rooms to make it look like there's, a, there's more people there than maybe there are. And, or they may drop into somebody's living room or put up a podium in the middle of a field and have a bunch of people yeah. stand solely stone face behind them. If, if we had five debates, we'd have an opportunity to, um, to uh, maybe have five different subjects, uh, one, yeah. uh, maybe 90 minutes a subject. So that would help, I think, break leaders away from um, programmed answers. Uh, it would also mean we could have different formats. Um, the BBC has been effective in the past of having... One where they'll actually have one leader come up after another, and he will stand on a circle in 20 minutes, and the audience gets to ask him or her questions. Yeah, and 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 then and from the party's point of view and the leader's point of view, if you have four or five debates, then the importance of each one is lessened, so that you can have an off night and still not feel that. Yeah, you know that that it's that it's all or nothing. So. It seems though we have a hard enough time getting whoever the incumbent is to appear in one or two. And I mean, it was pretty strategic the way the prime minister played these. Is there an appetite to have five of these? Do pe- well, and do people want to see them? I mean, there's certainly enough. There's nothing to say that they have to be you know across every single major network. I mean, there's certainly no. enough cable facilities that at least as long as it's presented to the majority of the public or they have the opportunity to to watch. Uh, why not do it that way, especially when we're trying to figure out what the perfect format is? Just keep doing them till you get it right. Yeah, and I think I would say, you know, you certainly know that some people are going to show up no matter what happens, right? But, which would be the, the yeah. parties who are, are our smaller parties who need the exposure. And, and, uh, and whether the, major, whether the uh, parties that people perceive to be the leading parties show up or not, that's their decision to some case. But, but I, I just think that they'd be... I think voters would learn a lot more about the leaders. Now, you don't vote for the leaders, but the leader the leader plays a role in, in you deciding, in most cases, which party you're going to support, I think. So I think it would be beneficial. It'll be interesting to see if, especially in uh, you know the technological world that we now live in, there, there is no excuse for less debating. No, no. And there's also not much excuse for getting in planes and flying around and dropping into places. Either, Good point, not, yeah. When you're not seeing the public. Yeah. Speaking uh, of the know, environment... Yeah. yeah, we had a bit of a debate earlier about Mr. Trudeau and his planes Two and planes, yeah. carbon offsets. Well, well, you know, I guess I would kind of argue that that's kind of how it was done in the 1970s, and this is 2020 almost, and yeah. we should think about changing a lot of these things to to make them more accessible to people who want to watch. And if if we do a bunch and we turn out nobody's watching, well, then, you know, maybe we have to rethink again. But until you try it, don't really know. All right, so uh, after debates like this, people always want to know who the winner is, who the, lo- who the loser is. I had a poli-sci say the other day that, you know, it depends what, your, what situation. A win for one person is one thing. A win for another is something completely different. So let's look at it that way. Start with the prime minister. Did he do what he had to do last night? Well, <laughs> you, never know, you never know on these. I thought he was, he, was, um, he was more active than he was in the first French debate, mm-hmm. um, uh, which was on TV a, a week earlier. And he was more engaged and seemed more, uh, even a little more engaged than he was in the English debate. So I suspect, but his his main objective, I think, last night was to respond to the Bloc Québécois, which seems to be doing fairly well and right. is attracting a fair amount of attention in Quebec. And so I watched the two, um, the, the time, and it appeared he had a couple more minutes total time than Mr. Blanchet did. So maybe he got his time to get his message out. Uh, what about uh, Andrew Scheer, leader of the, of the Conservatives? How did he do? Did he do it? He obviously he came out. He's in the last couple of debates. He's tried to be more aggressive. Yeah, and and his his challenge on these ones is, of course, he's he's debating in French, and he's the only person on the podium who 
thinks that uh, that, that um, an act of government policy of climate change that might involve uh, carbon taxes or anything like that is not the right thing to do. And and climate change is a very big issue in Quebec. So he was attacked by by um, by Mr. Bernier, who is much who is more comfortable in French than he is in English, and also attacked by uh, by Mr. Blanchet as well as Mr. Trudeau. So um, he he was kind of in in many ways in Quebec facing almost the position of of being like a prime minister where everybody's after you and uh, i don't i don't know that he actually helped his cause last night uh let me ask you this question are you when leaders are doing these debates are they strictly looking at votes that they will obtain in the province of quebec or are they looking for the clips that the news services might pick up and play to the rest of the country I think they've got to be worried about both, but obviously, um, the French language debate has French language concerns at the or the concerns of, of French speakers at the yeah. top of the list. So, you know, we had we had a couple of questions about protecting minority rights and protecting French language rights, um, and there were also a couple other issues. Bill Twenty One came up again, of course, and and a few other things. But um, that but you always, if you're the leader, you've always got to be worried that something's going to happen that's going to make you look bad, whether it's in your first language or your second language. Uh, what about Jugmeet Singh, who many were uh, praising after the first debate? Um, some said not quite as strong this time out. I think he, I, I think he was less effective this time. It, it, he, um, he, his points don't seem to go very far. At least they didn't seem to go very far last night. And and he was probably more effective in the first French debate than he was in the second one. But again, he's a, another one who's got a problem because in the past, of course, 2011, Jack Layton did very well in Quebec. Thomas Mulcair did less well in Quebec, and, and public opinion polls, if you accept them, will suggest the NDP won't do nearly as well this time as they did last time. So, so he's kind of uh, he was trying to uh, trying to do things, but I'm not sure that it actually will enhance um, the the NDP's position in, in Quebec on Monday night. Very much. Do you think that's due to Bill Twenty One? No, I think it's just due to the the um, the NDP NDP. Um, the NDP in Quebec was a bit of a phenomenon, yeah. and and um, it, was, it relied on a few other things happening. It relied on the Liberals being weak in Quebec. Uh, Mr. Trudeau was much uh, better than Mr. Ignatieff was in 2011 for the Liberals. So I, I don't... Um, I, it's, these things in Quebec and, and maybe it's in the rest of the country, there, in a lot of the races, there's three three or four, maybe even five parties and and so going back and forth between them can become a little bit difficult to figure out. And the Green Party, Elizabeth May. Uh, again, Elizabeth May's pr- predictable, but I think she suffered a little bit. Her French isn't as good as the others, and yeah. Mr. Singh's isn't as good as the other four, but his was certainly better than Ms. May's. So, so I think Ms. May, uh, people know who Ms. May is, they know what she stands for, and she's probably got her supporters uh, in Quebec, I'm sure, And but she's probably didn't pick up many more last night. I would say. Uh, what, now, interesting battle here between the Liberals and and the Bloc. Obviously, uh, looking at the you know Quebec vote uh, vote rich area for the Prime Minister. Uh, what about the battle between these two? What about the leader of the Bloc and his performance? Did he do enough to take any Liberal votes away from uh, from Justin Trudeau, Mr. Blanchard? Well, the ar- the argument Mr. Trudeau makes, and he made again last night, is if you if if you are in Quebec and you're concerned about things like climate change. You should be thinking about voting for the Liberals because the Liberals have the ability to do something, whereas the Bloc Quebecois doesn't. And that's an argument you can always make because the Bloc, of course, will never form a government. It may support a government if we're in a minority situation, but they'll never form a government. Um, uh, but on the other hand, the pitch Mr. Blanchet made, which is a, the pitch that, that that Quebec leaders of Quebec parties have been making for 40 or 50 years, is Quebec's interests need to be defended in Ottawa, mm-hmm. and we'll be the people who defend them best, so vote for me. Uh, does this split the left, in your opinion, or will people vote strategically? I, I You know, it's really hard to tell at the moment. Yeah. If we, the public opinion polls, again, if you believe them, suggest that until very recently... We had four parties nationally, the Liberals, the Conservatives, and NDP, and the Greens, each of whom was going to get more than 10% of was could have beheaded to get more than 10% of the vote. If that's true, and it's translated on an individual riding level, you're going to have some very strange results with people winning ridings with under 30% of the vote, potentially. Hmm. And, and that becomes really difficult to predict. I mean, even in the last election, in 2015, in fact, in Quebec it was like that when the NDP was much stronger. The Bloc Québécois won 10, 10 seats last time, 
seven of the 10 seats they won, they won with less than 35% of the vote. Mm. So basically, they're getting about a third of the vote, and they're winning seats. And and you can easily see some people winning seats with under thirty if there's four if there's four competitive parties. Right. So I think it's really difficult to to predict what's going to what's going to happen at the moment. I think most people would say it's more likely that the Liberals will end up with the most number of seats than the than the Conservatives. Mm-hmm. Um, but but um, if Green and NDP supporters think that it's going to be headed towards a minority government. My guess is they'd likely want to support their own the Greens and the NDP because that may put them in a stronger position if there's a minority and they're part of a minority to bargain for what they want. But Mr. Trudeau would like to make the case that uh, the Conservatives will win unless everyone lines up behind him mm-hmm. on climate change. And, uh, and if, if that happens, then people in the Greens and NDP who who favor action by government on climate change, um, more aggressive than Mr. Scheer's talking about, um, might end up with Mr. Scheer, and he will make the case that that's not a good thing. Uh, Always lots of polling around election time. It it seems like it's almost daily, and when the polling turns out different than what the election results were, a lot of people say that, you know, the polls aren't accurate. Is it that the polls aren't accurate, or people change their minds and 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 say one thing, and then once they get in that little box, they do another? Well, well, some people will probably not say what they're really going to do, but I think you've hit upon an important point that that we've seen in the last few elections that more and more people appear not to be making up their mind until the very last minute. And and so the now, polls are accurate. It's just yeah. at the end of the day, the last poll is the vote. Yeah, and and they're accurate. They may be accurate when they are taken, but they're not accurate. Um, but but people change their mind. You're right. Um, there may be some mind changing going on as people eat their Thanksgiving dinners or get together with family and friends and talk about some of this this weekend too. But then there's still a week then before we vote. But but um, some of the evidence suggests that up to 10 or 15 percent of people who are voting, which is only about 65, 60 to 70 percent of the of the people eligible to vote, that only about the 10 or 15 percent of them make up their mind at the last minute. In a in a race like this, when the parties are all around 10% or more, and the two front-running parties seem to be fairly close. Um, 10% of the electorate changing, you know, deciding when they get to the ballot, if they all decide the same way, that could make a, for a surprising night. So do you think the race is actually as close as the polls say it is? Um, I, the evidence suggests the numbers are the same, but the way the votes, like with the Liberals and yeah. Conservatives, very close. The way those that translates on an individual riding basis gives the Liberals an advantage. Yeah, they have more seats. Yeah, they have they have potentially have more seats. Yeah, and it's and uh, and part part of the Conservative support also comes from in Saskatchewan and Alberta. The Conservatives are going to win with twenty and thirty thousand plura- vote pluralities. Right. There won't be many of those in in Ontario or or, or anywhere else. So so um, I think the. The share of the vote is close, but um, I think there's probably a little bit of a gap. With, if, if the result is, if the vote share is close, it's likely the Liberals will end up with more seats than the Conservatives. Mm. And the challenge on the other part for the Conservatives is, if they end up with if they end up with the most seats but a minority, it's not clear who actually would work with them. Certainly on climate change, yeah. none of the other parties will, and certainly the Bloc won't. I mean, the Bloc. Uh, the Bloc and the Conservatives were kind of at each other on on climate change, right. on pipelines, on other things last night. So, so it you know we may we may see the numbers on Monday night, but it may take a little while to figure out, or a week from Monday, a little while to figure out what actually happens. Christopher Waddell has been with us, PhD professor and program director, Bachelor of Media Production and Design, School of Journalism and Communications at Carleton University. Christopher, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thanks, Scott. Hope the weather stays nice for the weekend. Us too. Cross your fingers. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.